The wedding at Cana is Jesus' first official sign in public of his supernatural power. Our Lord and Savior who came to earth to show us how to live and how to embrace our, our true selves and tell the truth made his debut miracle turning gallons and gallons and gallons of water into delicious wine for a party. And we like to laugh about this and think about how Jesus liked to party. Woo-hoo! And I do think that Jesus embodied joy and fun, and I think that he had some killer dance moves even without the help of wine. But I don't think that the wine party thing is the point of this first miracle. Our modern idea of this party is a rager with dancing and energy, you know, the pulsing music happening, and then Jesus and his disciples kind of rolling in, probably a little bit late, kind of alternative crew, maybe wearing leather jackets or something else cool, when suddenly the music stops with that sound like the needle being ripped off the record. You know what I'm talking about? And everyone stops dancing. The alcohol has run out. In our modern party, Jesus' vision, Jesus, with his perfectly long hair and beard, does some kind of cool turn of the phrase, a little bit of dance move, maybe a spin, and the wine begins to flow again. And then, unfreeze, the party resumes, and the music starts again. Party on. But the energy in the room was very different than that. It was a wedding in the first century, which at the time was one of the few times that the community got to have a party at all. In the first century, you didn't have birthdays every single time you had a birthday. You didn't have Super Bowl parties. There was no Super Bowl. There was no Tupperware parties and random parties just for any old event like they used to have. And not only that, but families didn't go on vacation to Disneyland. There was not like the same sort of right to having fun like we have it, right? There wasn't the same sense. So this time to get to rest, when your life is, is patterned around subsistence living, and every morning you have to go at dawn to get your water for the day, you don't just wake up and be like, oh, I'll turn on my coffee, turn on the water in the sink. Your whole life is work. To have a party when you never get to have downtime is very, very special and precious. It was very rare. And everyone in the community was invited. Old people, little kids, Jesus and the disciple, even Jesus' mom was there. This was a big, fun event. And if there was dancing, it was the kind of dancing where the kids and the grown-ups and the senior citizens all danced together, which I think is that the best kind of dance party anyway. There was food and fun and obviously wine. In the first century, there was a very different social milieu than we have today. Their society was based on shame and honor. So one got honor and respect and opportunity by showing their success and blessing in the community. Alternatively, one was shamed and ostracized by their social missteps and the bad things that happened to them that they couldn't necessarily control. People did not think when something bad happened to something, Someone else, like, oh, man, that's so, that's really too bad. I feel sorry for them. Instead, they thought they must have done something bad for God to punish them. 
When something good happened, they didn't say, oh, that lucky duck. Instead, they thought, wow, they must be a good person and God is blessing them. Right? So this, these good and bad things, they actually held the power to stigmatize someone. So to run out of wine at a party where you have invited the entire community, and this was their one opportunity to have a good time, was social suicide. No one would ever forget that this family ran out of wine at the wedding that they invited everyone to. It was going to be a shameful blot on the family. It would affect everything from their friendships to their business practices to their standing in the religious community. So this was not just a frat party where the keg was kicked. This was not just a funny opportunity for Jesus to show how cool he was by getting drunk people drunker. This was a social crisis for the family who hosted the wedding and an opportunity for Jesus to show compassion and challenge the social order that was based on terrible theology. Mary noticed the problem, and in what seems like quite an intense stage whisper to Jesus, was like, hey, they're out of wine. Jesus responded, as always, with a question to the question, right? What does that have to do with us? But Mary, knowing Jesus and his answering questions ways, instructed the waitstaff to do what Jesus said. And in a fascinating message to religious folk then and now, he instructed the waitstaff to take the giant jars, 20 or 30 gallons, I've seen these things, they're huge, that were used for ritual cleansing and to fill them with water. Ritual cleansing in the Jewish tradition is no joke. There are a lot of rules about this stuff. And if you want to know more, go home and read Leviticus this afternoon. But spoiler alert, the ritual washing jugs are not meant to carry wine to a party. Jesus asked them to fill these jugs with water and then to bring it to the party coordinator, essentially, the chief steward. And by the time the ritual cleansing jugs had been lugged into the party, they were full with the most delicious wine to ever pass anyone's lips. Probably still. It's probably the best wine ever made. Jesus had mercy on the family that planned the party and for them averted a social crisis that would have turned people against them for the rest of their lives. Jesus infused a party where the community had gathered together with fresh deliciousness so that the joy of the celebration could be embraced. He gave the people gathered there a chance to taste something truly spectacular and once in a lifetime. And he filled up empty religious vessels with a miracle. Our psalm this morning spoke to the extravagant love of God. The love of God that would take one family's moment of crisis and turn it into blessing and possibility. The love that is expansive, abundant, so much so that God would take on human flesh and be yelled at by his mom at a party. <laughs> Show us how to be human, how to embrace love, how to walk in justice and mercy. Meanwhile, our epistle is a reminder of what it means to live in that love that's active name is the Spirit, as a way of life. Paul spoke to the community at Corinth about how different everyone was and started out by writing, just in case any of you are uninformed, 
which was a nice way of saying, stop your shenanigans and listen up. You are all different from each other. Your gifts that you have are different. The way that God manifests in you is nuanced because you are different. So don't look at someone else's gifts just because they're not like yours and say they're not from the same God. They are. You are all needed. You are all necessary for the good of all. And it is not for the good of all. It is not the Spirit. What we do in our religious life can sometimes be like empty, useless cisterns in the kitchen. Instead of being full and shared, they can seem isolated, judgmental, empty, disconnected. But the extravagant, abundant love of God in the form of the Holy Spirit is ready to fill us with good things that will transform the world for the good of all. We get narrow. We do. I mean, this is just a human thing, right? We get so narrow, and we read scriptures like this 1 Corinthians text, and we imagine that these gifts from the Holy Spirit are meant for just us. And if not just for us personally, maybe we might imagine that they're, they're just for the church. But these gifts aren't meant just for us personally or our families or even just for this church. They're meant for the world. Some of us might think, well, that's great. Everybody else has gifts, but I got left out when the gifts were getting doled out. Everybody else is so amazingly gifted. But look at me. I can't do anything. Jan Richardson's blessing, the water, the wine, reminds us of how it feels to be unexpectedly filled with God's blessing. She writes, You thought you had learned to live with the empty, the hollow. You could place your ear against the rim of the vessel of your life and hear its ringing echo with equanimity, not expecting anymore. Not even bothered, almost to be a bystander at the feast and not delighting in the celebration, maybe even despairing in it. When the water rushed into the emptiness, you were surprised that you were surprised, that you could even feel the sudden wellspring when you thought all had been poured out. And then suddenly, the sweetness that stuns you tells you that this was not all, this was not the end, and that this blessing was saving the best for last. You were not forgotten when God doled out gifts. You have been filled with good things. You are continually filled with goodness. God lavishes God's love on you all the time. And God will continue to fill you. And God did not lavish this extravagance and grace out for us to sit in these safe walls and congratulate ourselves on how talented and gifted we are. Although that's fun too. No. The gifts we have are not just for us. They are meant to be extravagantly shared with the world. Party on. Empty, lonely vessels. 
in the corner somewhere, bringing revolutionary flavor and justice and mercy and kindness and service and love to the world. God's extravagance over us is just the beginning. The height and depth and width of this love is meant to be shared, meant to pour out with human and animal alike, as the psalm says, with those that we know and those that we don't know, with those that we hate and those that are easy to love, and with those that are difficult. Many of you have probably seen by now a video that has gone viral of some young men in red hats harassing a tribal elder who was drumming in Washington, D.C. at um, a march for indigenous rights on the mall in Washington, D.C. at the Capitol. There was a very intense energy of animosity and these kids, they were kids, they were teenager, teenage kids, were kind of playing off each other's energy of, of hate and then they started, started saying things and yelling and just taunting in a way that was so, it was just hard to watch and, um, and ugly to watch. And as I have been thinking about this, the wisdom of one of you spoke to my heart really profoundly. Kathy Reem was talking about what it might mean for those children to have a path of reconciliation and change. So many were saying, oh, those kids, those brats, they shouldn't have done that. You know, they're so full of hate and, you know, they, should, they need to get punished. And that's probably, they probably need to have some consequences for what they did. But what is their path back? We cannot stand up for justice without providing a path back to healing. The world wants to polarize us. The world wants us to become us and them. The world wants us to start pointing our fingers at those that are pointing our fingers at us, and then all will be lost. That God's love demands that in the power of the Holy Spirit, we reach out to all and we make a path of healing back for those that are lost to hatred and bigotry. We must. It's what separates us from the world. This love of God, this transforming power, this resurrection power of God. So as we consider these gifts this week, May we be inspired, too, to imagine what it might look like to not just protect those who need to be protected. In those pictures that I showed the kids, what we might do in that situation at that, at that lunch counter, how we might protect those that need to be protected, how we might stand up for justice, but also then how we might take the next step and reach out in love with reconciliation to all and provide a path to healing. As much as we want Jesus to be the party guy that saves the day, and I confess I would love to see an image of maybe Jesus with a tie around his head, like he's kind of fancy, but also he's a part, he can party, right? We must remember that this miracle speaks to more than just that. 
Jesus' first miracle was one of abundance and extravagance and mercy, and it stood up to the oppressive and dehumanizing culture of honor and shame, and it said, cheers. It turned expectations on their heads, and it repurposed empty religious vessels for blessing. It reminds us that there is nothing that is safe from the extravagant love of God, and right now we need that message. There is nothing that is safe from the extravagant love of God. There is no hatred that is stronger than it. There is no bigotry, no matter how young it is implanted in young minds, that is safe from the love of God. It is not stronger than God's love. Nothing is. It will be poured out. It will be shared. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. Let us go now to the banquet. Hymn number 523.